Hello, I'm Father Fred Caldwell, a Catholic priest in McKinney, Texas. And my name is George. I've been studying the Bible and religion all my life. Together, we'll be taking a new and often unexpected look at all things spiritual. And our podcast is named Soul Survivors. Good morning, Father Fred. How are you today? I am fine. It's sure a hot day out today. Yes, sir. This is lucky episode number 13. Everything with God is lucky. At the end of the last broadcast, you said Tuesday the 13th was unlucky in Mexico. Yeah. And what was that saying that it they had? It was, ne te cases, ne viajes. Don't get travel and don't get married on Tuesday the 13th. Well, that's interesting. I wonder how uh, Tuesday the 13th came about and Friday the 13th came about in the U.S. So I understand some people have asked you some questions about the podcast. Yes, I have uh, one young man. His name is Brian Heath, and he's a, a good friend of mine in Anna, Texas, and he's probably going to be running for an office, so it would, wouldn't be a bad idea to vote for him whenever you see him on a, on a ballot. I get questions from people that hear the podcast, and for the first time, they're starting to think differently than what they have been on the Bible. And I have some questions here from a, a girl down in Ennis, Texas, and she asked me this, would you say that those words spoken to them, to, meaning the, the disciples or the apostles, would you say those words spoken to them are from the Holy Spirit? And I would say to her, not the individual words. If you look at them and try to make them the individual words, you're going to have them conflicting with one another. God did not say these words. The Holy Spirit did not say these words. The Holy Spirit gives these people a teaching, and they use their own their own human words to describe them. And our human words cannot describe infinite. Our, our human words cannot describe God. So we try to piece things together the best we can and realize that these people are giving us a teaching from God. Another question, well, she says, in the Bible, when Jesus was alive, did the disciples write down word for word? And the answer is no. They did not have notepads. They did not have cell phones. They were going there just to listen to what Jesus was saying. So what we get is not what Jesus is saying, not what these people are saying, but what a writer is writing that these people that they're here from. For instance, if you want to know where they get their information, if it's not from God, then where does it come from? You can look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3, and it tells us, Luke says something like this. This is paraphrasing. I want to write for you, Theophilus. I want to write you an account of everything that's going on. And he's talking about Jesus. And he says, so I have decided to go find these eyewitnesses or people that just have heard from eyewitnesses, maybe. And I'm going to investigate. So he, he becomes like a, a newspaper writer. What he's writing down is what he's hearing from orally, second or, or third hand at least. She had one more question. It says, is a Jew someone who believes in God, not just in Jesus? And that's exactly who a Jew is as far as their faith is concerned. There's also Jew has more than one meaning. What else does Jew mean? It's not only a nationality, it's a religion. So you could be Jewish and an atheist, you could be Jewish and a Christian, or you could be Jewish and follow Judaism. Another one, she sent me this question. She says this, that all helps me understand better how things worked with reporting and writing their stories. And then she says this, 
did your part about Jews type out correctly? Don't we believe that we have an eternal covenant with God also? And the answer is we certainly do. We, our covenant is through Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection, mainly because of his resurrection. When he was resurrected, it means also that there's resurrection for you and for me. Those are just some of the questions that I got from this one girl down in Ennis, Texas. And uh, if you happen to have listened to this, you write down what you think. Maybe you agree. Maybe you disagree. That's not any problem. We don't intend to make people think that we have all the answers for anything. Our main purpose for this podcast is just to share with the people that there is a way to read the Bible that's not literal, that it's not coming off God's lips, that these are people just like you and me that are writing down how God has touched them. And they were touched in a special way because they were with a special person. They were with Jesus. And you have a Facebook page called Father Fred Caldwell, correct? Yes. And I know there's a lot of people that follow you on that Facebook page, so they could follow you there and ask their questions and get the latest episode links whenever they come out. And I put some questions on there about our scripture study, and, and I get answers. I would say 95% of them are very favorable. Every once in a while, there's somebody that thinks that they have God wrapped up in a box and in their own personal little faith, and nobody else does. And once in a while, there'll be somebody that will come after me because they don't see things or want to read things the way that I do. And that's fine. And I would like to meet those people and sit down and talk with them and not try to convert them, not try to make them like me, just to explain to them that God gives us a mind to think and ask, why does it tell us in Genesis in one place that God said to Noah, take two of every animal, every animal. And it's not ambiguous. He says one male and one female. But then in chapter 7, verses 1, 2, 3, God says, I want you to take two of every unclean animal, but 14 of every clean animal. Most people do not have any idea that it says to take 14 animals. And if you read it literally, you're going to have a real struggle trying to make two equal 14. But there will be people that will make efforts because they think that Jesus or God said these words. And if he did, then two some way has to equal 14. If you believe it literally, do not get involved with an atheist because he will take the scriptures in your own Bible and he will turn you wrong side out. It's nice to be able to read the Bible and learn for right off the top. But it's also so much better if we can take that Bible and we can analyze it to see what it's saying on a second level that makes it so much clearer and so much easier. Now, an atheist can come to us and he'll have no problems with us. And I also want to emphasize that neither you or I think we have all the answers. We're just looking at this the best way we can. And if we're wrong, we would love to be shown where we're wrong so that we can get better. So we welcome all questions and all disagreements. We are both seeking the truth. You'll hear atheists use the same scriptures that we use to prove that the Bible is wrong. We can use the same scriptures with them and show them how we read them. And it doesn't prove the Bible wrong. These aren't contradictions if we realize they're just writing what they hear or what they feel. It's their experience with God that they're sharing. And speaking of contradictions and corrections, last episode or one of the previous episodes, it was mentioned that Lot was Abraham's son. 
Lot is not Abraham's son. It's his nephew. We just wanted to clear that up. Yeah. Sometimes whenever we're talking, we'll, we get a little ahead of ourselves on thinking. And the other thing I wanted to mention is in one of the last episodes, we talked about Lot's daughters getting their father drunk and having relations with him. And I got to thinking after that. So well, what happened to their husbands or fiancés that they were engaged to in the previous chapter before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed? And I think the answer is that they didn't believe Lot when he said God's going to destroy the cities. And so they stayed behind. And so they were destroyed along with the cities. Does that sound about right? That's right. I don't, I don't believe I would trust my father-in-law that tried to throw my wife out to a mob of people. So they, they didn't believe him and they stayed behind. And now this, remember, this is not God doing this. This is what a man is writing. For instance, Lot's wife, just because she turned around and looked back, she turned to a pillar of salt. And you'd be thinking, what a terrible God, just because somebody turned around and looked back. And we're going to find in the future that when we have something like this, where there's such a terrible God, we're going to find out that this is written by a priest that is giving out laws and punishments. And the priestly person that's writing is he's concerned with justice and a severe, overly terrible justice. And when we find also the same thing where we'll have two stories, for instance, like Moses, he hit the rock to bring water. And we don't know why, but the priestly version says that because of that, he's going to be punished and he will never get to see the land that God wanted him to see. But when we look at the version that's from Yahweh, we find the same story, but now there's no punishment. He brings water out of the rock and he's the hero. If you do not realize that that's two different writers, you're going to have to try and make up something like, well, it's two different stories. But why would it be two different stories if they're in the same place and they're grumbling for the same thing? It's not two different stories. It's two different versions of a same story that's written by two different people. And last time we actually covered three different versions of the same story. It was where Abraham took his wife, Sarah, and King Abimelech saw them and fell in love with Sarah because of her great beauty at the age of 89 and took her as a wife. There's two different versions of that. And then there's a version where instead of Abraham, it was his son, Isaac. And when you look at that, you think, boy, this king is not very bright to fall for the same thing three different times. But when you realize it's the same story told three different ways, it makes a lot more sense. Somebody really liked that story. They told it three times. And there's not only two different writers, one from the South, one from the North, there's the redactor, which is kind of like an editor that put these stories together. And then last time we discovered there was a fourth writer and they referred to him as E because he uses the word Elohim. Mm -hmm. So there's at least four different writers that we're looking at right now that we have to consider whenever we're reading these stories. And chapter 21 that we're going to discuss today is written by that person that's called E. He just doesn't fit with the north and he doesn't fit with the south. So they say there's a source that comes from somewhere that they don't know what it is. Well, why don't we go ahead and jump into chapter 21 of Genesis? Let's look at it. If you've got your Bible, turn to chapter 21 in Genesis. And remember this, it's a good idea to have your Bible with you, have your pencil and, and paper. So 
you can write down different scriptures because sometimes we're going to skip around and you won't have time to go and look up this or that. But if you write it down, then you can go back and look it up. And you can also stop this podcast where you're listening to write down what you want to, check out what you want to, and then come back to it. So as we get ready, we just start on chapter 21. And this is finally we get to have Isaac come into the picture. This is Abraham and and Sarah, they've been struggling and wanting to have a child, wanting to have a child. Well, bingo, here today, we get to introduce to Isaac. And if you look at that first verse, there's something there that's going to be very interesting to you. The first half of the verse says this, The Lord took note of Sarah as he had said he would. Now keep that in mind. The Lord took note of Sarah as he had said he would. Then the second half says, The Lord did for her as he had promised. This is what you call a doublet. You've got the same thing said twice. So the first one is written by somebody from the South. We call it the J source or Yahweh. That Lord took note of Sarah as he had said he would. Then if we go to verse 2, and the first half of that is going to match up with it also. Sarah became pregnant and bore Abraham a son in his old age. That is from the South. And I'll just read them together, and you see how they tie up. Hey, Father Fred? Yes. For clarification, source J is from the south? Mm-hmm. It's for Yahweh, and Yahweh starts with a Y, so why would they use a J? Well, the first people that studied in these different sources were Germans. They were probably Lutherans, mainly. And they found these different stories that were interwoven, and you could break them down, just like we did with the first story of the creation and then the flood and then the Abrahamic covenant. So when it was transliterated from German to English, they kept the J, but the J has a different sound in English than it does in German. So in German, it's pronounced like a Y. So we get Yahweh when it's translated correctly. A lot of Bibles used to put Jehovah, but they no longer do that. They put Yahweh. They come up with the same letter, but a different sound. So J is for the South. E is for the one that's neither north nor south. Then there's a redactor. And then what is the designation for the writer of the north? We believe it was Abinathar. A priest that is concerned with details. He's concerned about being in charge. In the first chapter that we have in the creation, all God does is he just speaks it. He speaks and this happens. He speaks the third day. He speaks... Men and women are made. All it is is just he's speaking. He's not connected with them in any way. He's just way off. He's distant. And then you look at chapter 2, and you come up with something entirely different. Now they refer to him as Lord God. And Lord and God, a lot of scholars will say, that's when the northern kingdom was conquered. They went down into the south, and they had Lord and God, and they came together in those, those writings. But in this one, God is not standing off somewhere in a distance. He takes good dirt in his own hands and he molds a man and he doesn't just mold him. He's breathing directly into Adam's mouth. Now, that's not enough. He even names him. Not only does he name him, he walks with him in the cool of the evening and there's a conversations back and forth. You remember in Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham in the southern source, Abraham haggles even with the Lord. He says, 50 people, if they're okay, will you not destroy the city? Okay, well then 40, then 30. So it's a God that's involved with people 
that has feelings just like we do. He smells the sweet flavor of sacrifices. He walks in the cool of the evening and he looks for Adam and Eve. It's a, a very close, loving relationship with a loving father for the one in the South. The one in the North, he's not that way. He gives orders and that's what it is. When he says, either this is what I do, or this is what you do, like you build that ark, you make it 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high, you do that, and that's exactly what's done. There's no if or and or nobody getting this in a dream. This is God talking straight to them, and he's in command, and nobody thinks anything about why not. And what is the <clears throat> scholarly designation of the northern writer? The scholarly designation. Yeah, like we have E and J. What and do they call? They the... call it P. P. For priest. Uh huh. In these different areas, creation or the flood or the Abrahamic covenant. When it says God, 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 that's really God for him. That's that's the priest that's speaking directly for God with a very harsh, severe manner of justice. And what was the name of that book that you were telling me about? What was the name of it and what was the name of the author? Well, I don't remember the name of the author, but there are several of those books out and they go at it at different ways, but they all come out the same thing. They all come out with five different writers that are in that the Torah. I'm going to look up the writer and put it <clears throat> somewhere in this podcast. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I know you were on a roll there and I interrupted you, but go ahead, continue on. Okay, let's go to... Chapter 21, again, the first verse, we're going slow, but we'll get there. The first verse is, the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said he would. Now look at the first half of the second verse. Sarah became pregnant and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Now look at verse 7, drop clear down to 7. Who would have ever told Abraham, she added, that Sarah would nurse these children yet i have borne him a son of his old age you can see how their writings they were given to the redactor and he chopped them up and put them in the best way he could to make it look like one continuous story if we go back to chapter one and we look at the second half of that verse the lord did for her as he had promised now look at the second half of number two at the set time that god had stated that's when he did it now, look down at chapter 5, uh, verse 6. Sarah then said, God has given me cause to laugh, and all who hear of it will laugh with me. Now, when we, she named him Isaac, she thinks people are going to laugh when they hear this. They might laugh because the word laughter in Hebrew and Isaac come out very similar. But also, the people, she's thinking, the people are going to laugh at her because here she is, this old woman, and now she's going to have a child. But let's just start with verses 1, 2, and go on to 3 now, and, and we're going to just go right on through chapter 21. So get, get your Bible, and verse 3 says, Abraham gave the name Isaac to this son of his whom Sarah bore him. He's going to have more children, but this is the only one that Sarah is going to give him. And Isaac, you're going to see this over and over, and you're going to see laugh over and over. And Isaac and laugh have a connection in these scriptures. Number four says, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Now, this is like in the priest. God's commanding this. When his son Isaac was eight days old, this is what 
Abraham had to do. Now, when we go back to chapter 17, you might write this down. Chapter 17 is where God tells Abraham, I want you to circumcise every one of male that's in your family, not just your family, but if you have a slave or whatever. And here's where how strict it gets. If you have a child that's not circumcised, he will not even be part of my family, the family of God. That's the severe priest that's going to put a penalty on you. If that child's not circumcised, he can't even belong with us. Verse 5 says, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now, you remember how old Abraham was when Ishmael was born? He was 86. That's going to make Ishmael about 14 years old. He's a fellow now that can kind of fend for himself. He's not a baby. He doesn't have to be carried around. Verse 6 says, Then Sarah said, God has given me cause to laugh. She laughs because of Isaac and the connection with laugh. It's going to be all through this. And all who hear of it will laugh with me. It's not, they're not going to laugh at her. They're going to laugh with her. It's a happy laugh that she's going to have. And verse 7 that we read, Who would have told Abraham, she added, that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son at this old age. Now, all of this is going to be from E. It doesn't fit the northern kingdom, and it doesn't fit the southern kingdom. If it fit the northern kingdom, it would have a God that's severe talking all of this. We don't have that. We don't have a God saying, this is what it's going to be. It's not from the north. If it were from the south, it would be Yahweh, Yahweh, or Lord, Lord, Lord. But it's not. It's God most of the time. Lord might get in there once in a while, but it's mainly God. Verse 8 says, The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a great banquet on the day of the child's weaning. What's that meaning, the weaning of the child? means he was no longer breastfed. He's uh, starting to get solid food now. Sarah noticed her son Hagar, the Egyptian. Now, you remember her? Because Sarah couldn't have a child, hooked up her Abraham with Hagar so that they could have a child. Now, Hagar was an Egyptian. So that's going to be bad news because the Israelites only wanted people that would have the same bloodline that they did, even if it meant marry your sister. Sarah noticed that her son, that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. Now, wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Son, that other son of yours, half-brother, is playing now with my son, my full son, and this is where racism maybe comes into to our world. Or it's there anyway here. She doesn't want him even playing with, with him. So she demanded. Now, this is not just uh, like it was back in chapter 16. She was jealous, but now she's angry. So she demanded, drive out that slave and her son. No son of that slave is going to share the inheritance of my son. Here we have Sarah that is jealous and she's fearful. And I think all prejudice comes from fear and ignorance. And she's not displaying those qualities that they talked about in the New Testament, where they said she had a gentle and quiet spirit. And it's just like back when she first found out that this child was going to be there. When she first found this out, she probably thought it was something that would be pretty good because she never dreamed that she was going to have her own child. So this is somebody that was precious to her back then. When she told Abraham uh, later, when Hagar started thinking, well, I've got the child and she doesn't, so that makes me pretty good. And that made Sarah mad. 
And she blamed it all on Abraham when it was her fault that she was the one that hooked them up together. Here, back then, she was mad because of jealousy, and she was wanted to get that kid out of there. Now, she's afraid because of this other son is going to be part of, get part of the inheritance. The first one was about Hagar's arrogance about how she thought she was so good. That's why she got run off. This one is about Sarah's jealousy. She doesn't want this other son to get any of the inheritance from her son. Now, back then, Abraham was kind of docile about it. He said, well, okay, do what you, with her what you want to. But now he's kind of concerned about his son that might not have anything. So in verse 11, it says, Abraham was greatly distressed. He wasn't that distressed in chapter 16. Abraham was greatly distressed because it concerned a son of his. He wants his son now to be able to have inheritance also. So he's reacting in a different way. As we look at verse 12, but God said to Abraham, do not be distressed about the boy or about your slave woman. Obey Sarah. Now that's not the way that usually men and women were back then. You don't, didn't obey your wife. Obey Sarah, no matter what she asks of you, for it is through Isaac that descendants will bear your name. So don't, don't worry about it. Now, verse 13 tells us why. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, since he is to be your offspring. So God assures Abraham here. Abraham's upset. So God calms him down. He said, your son Ishmael will have a kingdom of his own. Then early the next morning, Abraham got some bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, then placing the child on her back. Now that's an unusual thing. He's 14 years old. His legs are probably going to be dragging down toward the, the ground. He sent her away and she didn't know what to do. She roamed aimlessly into the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, Beersheba is down in the Negev desert, down toward Egypt. In chapter 16, he did not get on her back because on her back, they put food and water. That was in the rider from the south. This rider is having the boy put on her back as if he's like a little toddler. He's 14 years old. But these stories, they're not stories in chronological order. They're not stories of history. They're stories of faith. And you might find something that happens before one, another item, and it'll be placed afterwards. It's put in there not to make it historically or chronologically correct. This is a story of faith. It's not a story of history. And they're wandering through Beersheba. The water in the skin then, this is verse 15. The water in the skin was used up. She put the child down under one of the bushes and went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away. That's going to be a long distance from her son. For she said to herself, I cannot watch the child die. This is like a little little bitty baby in the story from E. It's like he cannot survive. But if you're 14 years old, you're going to probably outlive your mama unless she stole all the water. I cannot watch the child die. As she sat up opposite him, she wept aloud. So she's crying. There she is out in the desert, and here's God. Now, this is why it's not from the south, because it's not Lord. God heard the boy's voice, and God's angel called to Hagar from heaven. He's not with her. He's up in heaven and hollering down at her. What's the matter, Hagar? Do not fear. God has heard the boy's voice, this plight of his. So he's hearing the boy, and he's up in heaven. He's not down there with him. 
That would, that would be the South. Get up, lift the boy and hold him by the hand, for I will make him a great nation. Now that's Ishmael. He's going to be a great nation, but it's not going to be a peaceful nation because we've read previously that everybody would hate him and he would hate everybody else. Then God opened her eyes. Now her eyes were already open, but this means he lets her see something that she was not able to see before. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Isn't that something? Just popped up there for him. She went and filled the skin with water and then let the boy drink. And you wonder where in the world that will come from. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert bowman in the wilderness of Haran. His mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. That's not a good thing. You don't want to get a wife from anybody other than an Israelite, or you're going to have Friday the 13th and Tuesday the 13th. Wherever you live, they're going to come up with some bad luck. Father Fred, we're out of time for today, but I do have a question. It mentions that Hagar thought she was going to die. She saw no solution to her problem, and God opened her eyes, and she saw the well. How do you think that applies to us? Because that's one of the questions you say we should ask. Yeah, I think when you read the Bible, you need to, if you've got a pencil, you might write this down. There are four things you need to ask yourself, and one of them is not, why would God do this? Forget that. Number one is, who is doing the writing? The second one is, who is he writing to, or she? Who's that person writing to? The third, what's going on? What's the situation? Why the writing? And number four, what does that have to do with me and God? And I would also clarify that inside of the question, who are they writing to, includes the culture. Includes the culture, includes the situation, time, the place, and all of that. Right, because if you don't understand the culture, you're not going to understand why the writer wrote things that way. Like to us, it would be shocking that Lot offered his daughters to a group of angry strangers. But if you understood that it was the patriarch's job to protect his visitors at all costs, and that was the culture, we still don't like it, but you can at least have reason why he did that. Yeah. Now, when I started reading the Bible, my wife was Baptist, and she had read it a whole lot more. Well, I hadn't read it. She had read it since she was three years old, and she pushed me to write it, to, to read it. And I know as I was coming along, and I came to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and it says this, Your faith is a free gift of God. It's nothing you can work to earn for yourself so that nobody can boast about it. And I read that, and I thought, man, I like that. I'm going to hang on to that. But the next book was Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now I'm reading, not only you've got to work for it, you've got to be scared to death. Now, a person that reads this literally will start trying to find anything to cancel that. That writer put it in there for a certain reason. We will, I believe that when he wrote to the Ephesians, they had people there saying, I can do this by myself. I don't need Jesus. And he's emphasizing, you've got to just believe. I think in the in Philippians, he had a group there that was saying, I got Jesus. I don't need to do anything. And he's emphasizing to them, you better get busy. So it makes a difference. Same writer, Paul wrote both of them, the same writer, but he's writing to one community that's different from another community. What was that analogy you gave me about the doctor? I thought of this. I thought, suppose you go to your, your grandpa's house and he's just passed away and you're going through the things to divide up and see what you're going to get. 
And you pick up a, a book there that you find and you start looking through it and you come to a place and it says, do not drink not one drop of wine. And you think, well, it must be a terrible thing. You read a little farther and you come on another page and it says, before you go to sleep at night, drink six ounces of wine. And you're thinking, if I look at this, one place it says, don't even touch it. The other one says, do it every night. You're going to think, boy, this is sure a crazy thing. But then when they found out that that was a book that belonged to their grandpa that was a doctor, and one guy could not drink anything without trying to drink the whole five gallons, the other guy couldn't sleep without some sort of sedative, and it worked for both of them. And if we don't know that that doctor is the one that's doing this, we'll think that it's a crazy writer. It's the same thing with our Bible. If we don't realize who's doing the writing, who they're writing to, what is the circumstances? If all we have is, I read everything and, and it's just me and God. If we read that, we're going to be confused. Doesn't mean we don't have salvation. Doesn't mean the Bible's wrong. It just means there's a way to understand these seemingly misunderstandings that exist in our Bible. When we can take those things into consideration, the discrepancies, the contradictions, they disappear if we realize there are different writers. The last question has to be, what does this mean for me and my connection with God? What I was thinking of whenever Hagar saw the well, when she thought she was in a hopeless situation, was that when we think we're in a hopeless situation, that there's no way out, God will provide a solution that we didn't even think about, that we didn't even know about. There's a saying, when one door is closed, God opens another one. And the one he opens is going to be better than the one that got closed. The name of the book is Who Wrote the Bible by Richard Elliott Friedman. And that's spelled F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. And I think you use this a lot to refer to in order to prepare for these lessons. Is that correct? That's correct. And my book, you talk about dog-eared. It doesn't have a cover anymore. The pages are just worn to a frazzle. And every time I read it, I learn something new. But I'll tell you, if you will get that book and you will read it with an open mind, you will know more about how to read the Bible than so many of the people that are trying to teach you. It's available for $13.29 on Amazon. This is when I started reading the Bible in a different way, when I started reading this book. And it has changed my life on the way I read the Bible. Well, Father Fred, this concludes episode 13. God bless you.